Please stand for the reading of God's word. Back up again. We're reading Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. That's the reading of the word. Good morning. Good to be with you on this cold, cozy day. Um, thank you guys for that sharing. That was so great. I, I love when this happens. Uh, we've had this on the schedule for a while. I had no idea um, what you guys were going to share. And what Aaliyah just shared is like so perfect to this psalm, this idea of, of where we run in moments, whether we run towards fear or whether we run into the arms of God. And that, that is like my sermon, so you don't have to listen for the next 30 minutes, but I love it when things come together like that in beautiful ways. Um, so uh, this month, just for the month of May, we're walking through a mini-series on the Psalms. And we're looking at these, these prayers of God's people through all, all circumstances of life. And that's what the Psalms are. They, I mean, we're bringing everything to the Lord. The good, the bad, the ugly. It's about attending to what's going on in our lives and our hearts and just bringing that before our God. And last week I suggested that the Psalms are really God's invitation to bring it. Just bring whatever's there. He can handle it. He, he, wants, he wants to be the person we go to. Everything that's going on. And these, these great prayers model that kind of just open-hearted posture with our Lord. So last week we looked at a psalm where David was uh, seeking refuge from God because there were some enemies in his life that were external to him. There were some people trying to kill him. We talked about going to God as our refuge in the midst of enemies in our lives that are external. Troubles, hardships that are happening in our lives. And this morning, we're, we're going to ask the question, what happens when the enemies are internal? <laughs> what happens when the enemies are, are us, our own sin and brokenness and dysfunction? What does it look like to relate to God when we're the enemy? <laughs> How do we come to God as a refuge? And that's what I'll be suggesting is the posture is still the same. God is our refuge, even when the enemy 
is us, even when the enemy is our own brokenness. And today we get this beautiful picture of God's forgiveness, of his grace, and of a, of a, of a man, David, who is able to find refuge in his God, even in his own brokenness and sin. And so I want to suggest that this psalm is something that every one of us in this room needs to hear today. Okay, what I'm about to say is not for your spouse or for a friend, uh, for your kids, it's for you. We all need to hear this beautiful psalm. And the reason is because everyone in this room is a sinner. There's lots of sin in this room right now. I mean, you guys are like some expert sinners, okay? I'm talking like graduate level sinners. I'm looking at graduate level sinners, and so are you when you look at me. And what I mean is I'm not talking about just the soft stuff. I'm talking about the hard stuff, the, the, real, the real sin. Sin like lust is in this room, right? Some of us are wrestling with lust, anger, pride, greed, gluttony. Ooh, that's a tough one. Envy, jealousy, sloth, okay? These are like, historically, they're called the deadly ones, you know, the seven deadly ones. And, and we're all wrestling with those sins, And yet, if you've given your life to Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm also looking out at a group of saints, God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And on this journey with Jesus of being slowly transformed into the image of Jesus over time. That's who we are all at the same time. And so one of the most fundamental aspects of our journey with Jesus is learning to live with God in the midst of all the bad stuff. Like learning to continue to live in relationship with God in the midst of all my bad. That's a a basic Christian uh, practice to figure out what to do with. And I see a lot of journeys go wrong because people don't know how to continue to live with the Holy God in the midst of all this bad stuff. They don't know what to do with that kind of relationship. And so their journeys with God can go sideways. And so I want to talk about what do we do? As these broken sinners saved by God's grace, yet continuing to sin and, and be in this relationship with God. What do we, how do we do that? And we have to deal with that pretty much every day of our lives. So how do we do that? What this psalm, this psalm invites us into a journey with God in the midst of our bad, okay? And it's a beautiful invitation. I think hopefully you will experience a great freedom in this psalm today. Um, but before we walk through it, I want to walk through it. Um, I want you just to, want you identify something. I want you to think back to the last week. You probably don't have to think back to last night necessarily, but identify something that you have been struggling with, where the enemy is inside of you, okay? I want you, maybe there's a certain comment you made, or there's a thought you had, or an action you took, um, but I think the seven deadlies are, are not bad ways to think about. Maybe there was lust, or anger, or pride, or gluttony, or jealousy, or sloth, or greed. I want you to identify something um, that you are still maybe carrying, and you maybe haven't really thought much about it, maybe haven't brought it before the Lord, but it's there. And for some of us right now, sin is a very present, like you are feeling the weight of something in your life. Um, for others of us, maybe it doesn't feel quite so intense, depending on how we, we think our week went. But I, I would encourage you to to consider something that you have recently struggled with um, or maybe are in the midst of right now. And I want to walk through this psalm together. And, and um, it's a beautiful psalm. 
Okay? So I want, I want us to bring that into this moment and walk through this psalm. All right? Pretty short psalm. Pretty simple, too. Uh, the psalm begins with this wonderful tone of joy and blessing. Let me read verse 1 and 2 again. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no, there is no deceit. Okay, I get the sense that when David pens this psalm, he is coming off a very fresh experience of God's grace and forgiveness. He's come out of something, and we'll find out he has, in fact, come out of something, and he is experiencing God's grace. It's fresh. It feels real. It feels poignant to him. And so he's in that moment of, of freedom and, and, you know, how it feels when you feel forgiven, like joy and freedom. And he's writing this psalm right out of that fresh experience. And he starts it with these first two word, verses, which are really the very heart of the gospel, okay? I mean, this like verse 1 and 2, this is the gospel. This is what Christians believe. When you go to Romans and Paul is outlining what the gospel is, he quotes these two verses. Okay? And this is the gospel. It's this. You can be a sinner and live with a holy God who says to you, your sins are covered. It's okay. They're Covered. You can be a practicing sinner living in relationship with a perfect God who says to you, that's okay. I am not counting your sins against you. Okay? And I just want to remind you, that's the good news that we believe. And we're going to celebrate communion uh, this morning later. And, and Jesus is, of course, his death and resurrection is what makes that news possible. So we're going to talk about that later. But for now, I just want to remind us, that is, that is the gospel. That's the good, wonderful news that David is just swimming in in this moment. <laughs> you can be a practicing sinner and live in relationship with a perfect, holy God who says, it's okay. Your sins are taken care of. I'm not counting those sins against you anymore. That's the good news. All right? And so, so what David does in this is he's, he's taking that in himself, I think, and he's then proclaiming it to us. And what he does in the rest of the psalm is he first talks about his own experience of what he's just been through. And then in light of that experience, he says, in light of what I've experienced, let me offer you some words of wisdom for your own life, okay? So let's walk through this. Let's look at David's experiment, his own experience, and then the wisdom that he offers us. All right, so his experience is this, verse 3. He starts, he's had this experience of sin. I'll read verse 3 through 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, Lord, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. All right, so David has been engage in some sin. He doesn't tell us what that sin was. He doesn't get specific with it. Um, those of you that know the story of David know he uh, was also an expert sinner. Um, Second Samuel tells the story of David as king, and one day he was out looking, out looking over his kingdom in the palace, right, and he saw this beautiful woman bathing, and he had the view from the palace of her, and he said, I want that. And so he had a servant bring Bathsheba into his palace, and he slept with her committed premeditated adultery with her. Uh, and then she was married, and he was trying to figure out what to do with that. 
Uh, and her husband Uriah was a soldier in David's army, and so David intentionally put Uriah at the front lines of a very dangerous battle to get him killed in battle, which we would call premeditated murder. Okay, so premeditated adultery, premeditated murder. Um, I'd say those are pretty big ones. I bet you can't top that list, uh, combining those two yourself. All right. Uh, we also know from the story that there was some sort of time that elapsed between when David committed these crimes and um, when he was brought to account for these things before Nathan the prophet you know, came to him. So there was some period of time where he just lived in silence with, with these sins. We don't know how long that was. Uh, but David at least had an experience of sin and holding that sin in for a time. We don't know if this experience is from that or not. I'll, let's just say it's just some sin in his life, but it could have been something like that. Uh, and we're given access to his psychological state in this. Okay, listen to this. He says, um, this is fascinating. I think maybe you'll be able to relate to this. He says, um, when I kept silent, meaning um, when I kept that sin to myself, right? When I didn't confess it, when I didn't speak up about it to God, when I, when I didn't own up before God to what I had done, when I, when I kept it to myself. Look at verse, end of verse 2. He says, in whose spirit is no deceit. He's saying there's a season where there was deceit in me. I wasn't being honest with the Lord about what I had done. I was trying to keep it to myself. And he doesn't tell us why he kept silent. Uh, But if he's anything like us, we can imagine why, (laughs) right? There was a sense of guilt, probably a sense of fear. Or maybe there was pride. Maybe there was stubbornness. But he keeps silent. And that is our great temptation, isn't it? Whenever we sin, it's to keep silent about it. It's to keep it inside. And and this is a very ancient (laughs) temptation, okay? Ever since Adam and Eve, right? They sinned against the Lord, and the first thing they do is they try to cover and they try to hide, right? And that is the human um, gut reaction to our own brokenness. I want to hide this. I want to keep this silent. I don't want to go to God with what I've just done. And, and I was thinking this week, you know, last week we looked at God as a refuge when, when the enemy's external. And I think that's actually pretty easy to do. Like when I'm going through problems in life and there's people that are, you know, to get me, it's pretty easy to go to God, right? Like, God, I need your help. This is happening. Will you be my refuge and I'll find a refuge? But it's hard to go to God when you're the problem, right? Like I've just done some things and I know that I've ultimately sinned against you, well, you're kind of the enemy. I mean, that's how it feels right now. When I picture you right now, I picture you as disappointed or angry with me or critical of me. Well, that doesn't feel like a very safe place to find a refuge, right? I'm not experiencing you as a refuge. I, right now, I experience you as the judge. <laughs> you're, the, you're the one whose laws I violated. Why would I want to seek refuge in a judge, you know? And so he keeps silent, but a very interesting thing happens to him <laughs> when he chooses to keep silent. Um, he learns what one of my seminary, seminary professors uh, said this way. He learns, actually, there is no refuge from the judge. <laughs> there is no refuge, right, from the judge. And he goes on to describe what he experienced, which is this. Um, God, your hand was heavy upon me the whole time, right? He, he realized, I can't hide from God. 
And this is what human beings have discovered over time. Beginning with Adam and Eve, they learned, actually, you can't hide from this guy. He's going to find you. That's what Jonah discovered, right? He tried to flee to Tarshish. No, there's nowhere you can go. David says it in Psalm 139. Where can I flee from your presence, right? Where can I go from your spirit? I cannot escape you. I cannot hide from you. And God is working on David. His hand, heavy, his hand is heavy on him, working through David's conscience. Um, it's a fascinating description, verse 3 and 4. He says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped. It's almost like he's experiencing physical manifestations of his guilt, right? There's almost this physical experience of, of the hand of the Lord working through his conscience and, and feeling uh, this weighty physical experience of his guilt that's painful. And I would love to hear a lecture on this myself. But, you know, we are, we are bodies and spirits together. And, and sin can have physical manifestations in our bodies. And I think we've all experienced this in, in certain capacities. But, you know, like when you, when you are holding on to deep resentment, that can have a very physical expression. That kind of sin can have physical expression. Or you carry um, profound anxiety, let's say, that there's just a, a, a true lack of trust in God. Um, that anxiety, can, can, you can feel that in your body. When you're carrying around guilt and shame about certain things that have not been unearthed and have not been healed, you can carry that in your body. Now, I would guess if we were to go around and talk to each other, each of us has sort of our, a certain centralized part of our body that gets hit by, by psychosomatic issues. You know, for some of us, it's the gut. I'm a, I, I kind of catch all three of these, what I'm about to say, but, you know, some of us, the gut gets, gets impacted by these emotional, these, these things. Some of us, it's more the, the back or the neck, the shoulders get tight and, and hurt. For some of us, it's our head. Things happen in the head, and I'm, I'm not at all suggesting that all these physical symptoms are a result of sin in our lives, but I'm just saying David is experiencing very almost physical symptoms of trying to cover this thing up, and I think we can relate to that in, in various ways. And when we keep silent, um, we will experience God as judge, and we will learn there is no refuge from the judge. The turning point in David's experience comes in verse 5. And this is where the whole tone of the psalm changes after those those dark two verses in verse 3 and 4. Look at verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. (laughs) We don't know how long it was, whether it was days, weeks, months. But finally, he he does the thing that he was afraid to do. And I think he's kind of forced to do it, right? (laughs) Like he was experiencing the heaviness of it. And the pain of not saying something became worse than the pain of actually saying something to the Lord. So he confesses it to the Lord. He stops being silent. He stops deceiving and he comes clean. And I love this verse. I love the simplicity of David's response. Let me read it again. Then... I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Pretty simple, right? I, I acknowledged it. I, I owned up to it. I confessed. He doesn't say, then I, I groveled for weeks before the Lord. You know, I, I carried rocks through the wilderness showing him how, how seriously I wanted to change. I vowed to never do this again. Um, he doesn't say any of that. No, I just, I came clean, <laughs> 
I confessed it. I, I spoke the truth of what was going on to the Lord. I said, I'm inviting you into this. That's as simple as that. And I love the simplicity of God's response to him. Ah, look at the end of verse 5. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. <laughs> Just like that. I confessed it, and you forgave it. There was forgiveness waiting for me all along. God doesn't say to him, thank you for that. Now offer 50 sacrifices, right? I want you to go give alms to the poor, David. Um, David, I want you to actually, I want you to sit in this for a while. You know, I want you just to kind of wallow in this guilt for another three months. And then, then we'll see. You come back to me in three months, we'll see. Right? None of that. No, I confessed. <laughs> and the, it's like instantaneous. It's like God was waiting <laughs> for me to do this. Now he's got open arms for me, forgiveness for me. I love that. And there, there might be some natural consequences to the sin, we don't know. But in terms of his relationship with God, it's, it's forgiven. It, it totally reminds me of the story of the prodigal son that we just read a couple months ago, right? You got this younger son and he, he, he really, you know, disobeys his father. He goes off and he squanders his, his, his life and, and then he... He comes to the end of himself. He feels the pain of that. And he starts thinking, man, it'd be great to go back. But he's thinking, I can't go back to my father after all I've done. But the pain of staying is, is worse than the pain of going back. And so he's like, he comes up with a plan. I, I'll, I'll work my way back. You know, I'll work my way back into my father's good graces. And yet he heads home. And the minute his father sees him, right, it's just there's compassion and his father runs out and just wraps his arms around him and says, son, this is what I've been waiting for all this time. I just wanted you to stop running from me and turn towards me. And that's who our God is. This God is like, you might experience me as a judge in your sin, but I'm just, I'm just wanting you to turn. Turn from and just confess it and come back to me. And I'm, I'm here. No strings attached. And I can... I can as, as a parent, I can relate to that. I know what it's like to watch my kids disobey and to try to bring them to a place of coming to understand what they've done wrong. But the minute they're like genuinely repent, I'm like, oh, you're my daughter. I, that this, I just wanted you to see that. That's what we're seeing. And, and David is learning this profound reality about God. That my seminary professor, the full line was, he would say this, there is no refuge from the judge, but there is always refuge in the judge. And I love that. And that's, there is no refuge from our God, but there is always refuge in our God. So David stops running from God and he runs to God in the midst of his sin and he experiences forgiveness. He experiences a refuge even in his sin. Look at how he describes God in verse 7, probably the most famous line for some of us, because we sang this as kids in the psalm. You are my hiding place. Hmm. Even in my sin, you're my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. What a beautiful picture. Very similar to the picture we had last week of the cave. You're protecting me and you're singing all around me songs of deliverance. It's a beautiful picture. Look at verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. What a great change from experiencing God as judge. Your hand is heavy upon me, right? My strength is sapped. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm wasting away to now this beautiful picture of safety, of warmth, 
of refuge, of care, of love, of singing. He has found in God a refuge even in the midst of his sin. That was David's experience. And in light of his experience, David says in the psalm, you know, I've learned something through this experience. And now let me offer words of wisdom to you all. All right? In light of what I've been through, let me help you uh, with your own experiences. And he says, he gives us a word of advice. And he says it positively, and then he says it negatively. Positively, look at verse 6. He says, in light of what I've been through, here's what I'd say to you. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you, Lord, while you may be found. In light of what I've experienced, pray to God. Go quickly to God. He will be a refuge for you just as he was for me. He can be found. So go to him quickly and often, all right? Positively speaking, just go to him. It'll be okay. And then he says it negatively. And I love this. this is, I don't know why. This is my favorite part of the psalm. Look at verse 9. Negatively, he puts it this way. <laughs> Don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. (laughs) Okay, now what is he saying? I want you to imagine a a mule, all right? A stubborn mule uh, uh, that you, it doesn't want to do what you want it to do. And so you have to put something painful in its mouth, a bit, You have to tug on that bit, and through pain, you have to make it do what you want it to do because it's stubborn, right? That's the image. You have to use pain to get it to do what you want it to do. I'd call that forced compliance on a beast, right? And David is saying, don't be like that mule. And through this psalm, he's saying, I should know. (laughs) I was that mule. I was exactly that stubborn mule, and God had to use pain to get me to confess, he had, to, he had to take that bit and that, those reins and pull hard in me. His hand was heavy on me. I had to experience all the pain of that before I would finally say uncle and confess. And he's saying, don't be like that. <laughs> and I think many of us in this room can relate <laughs> to David in that. That in our journey with God, sometimes pain's the only thing that seems to get our attention. And when life is going great and everything's, we tend to keep God at a distance. It's not until things get painful um, that we tend to get close to him. And David's saying, don't live lives of forced compliance like that. I want you to live lives of joyful obedience with God. And when, and when we sin, and we all will sin often, when we do that, let's have hearts that are sensitive to it and responsive to it, that, that don't hold tightly to it, but to go to God quickly and often that keep short accounts with our offenses against God. I mean, isn't that what we want in our human relationships when people... Uh, you know, offend us when they hurt us? Don't we want them to be quick to ask for forgiveness when a friend um, wrongs you? Don't, don't, aren't you like, I don't know, but for me, if someone wrongs me, if they're willing to like own up to it, I'm like pretty good, pretty quick. I'm like, I'm great. But again, like I'm thinking as a father with my kids, like that's what I want. I want my, they're going to disobey all the time. I want them to be quick to say sorry. It, it is remarkable to watch a five-year-old girl to see the true stubbornness of the human heart and how hard the word sorry is to say. I've seen girls like fast and hold out for weeks before willing to say sorry to their sister for stealing their toy. I mean, it, it is, there's something deep in the human heart that that word is very hard for us at a very early age. But that's what we want. We want 
kids who are quick, right? I mean, our spouses, right? I just want you to be quick to, to uh, uh, acknowledge. I, I don't want to put your face in what you've done. I, I want you to be quick to say sorry. And that's who our God is. And that's what David's inviting us to be. Let's be people who don't need pain to get us to do that, but we're quick and responsive. We have these open, soft hearts that whenever we sin, Lord, I'm sorry. Um, this is, you know, this is me. And yet, your forgiveness is there. That is, so, that is so important in our relationship with God to keep short accounts with the Lord. That as we sin, to be quick, God, there it is again. I'm sorry. I'm not going to hide this. And I don't want to wait till I get in pain to, <laughs> to bring this to you. I just want to bring it to you. I'm so sorry. There it is again. And the beautiful thing about that is every experience of our sin, when we're willing to confess, can be a fresh experience of God's forgiveness. <laughs> I mean, you get to experience fresh experiences of God's forgiveness sometimes 10 times a day. It's a beautiful thing. And there's a, on, the, on the negative, there's a great danger in our relationship with God if we do not do that. Um, one, life tends to be more painful. But um, if we do not keep short accounts, over time, we will become desensitized to the sin in our lives, and to the, the conviction that his spirit is trying to create in us to turn to him. When we ignore that time and time again, we will become desensitized to it. And that's a very dangerous place to be. I want to show you this verse, this image actually. In First um, Timothy, Paul's talking about these false teachers. And he says, such teachings come through these, these men, and here's the image, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And you think about when you sear meat on a pan, right? It loses its sensitivity. It loses its softness. It becomes hardened and calloused. And there's a great danger when we don't come quickly to God. These, these consciences that should be soft, right, and sensitive to the Spirit's conviction lose their feelings, become calloused. And, and when we do that, we will just start to compartmentalize parts of our lives and we will lose intimacy with God every time. When we do not regularly confess, what, is, what suffers is a closeness and a joy and an intimacy with God. And you think about in a human relationship, when someone wrongs you regularly and they do not confess and acknowledge that, you can still be in relationship with them, but you will absolutely pull away to an extent and intimacy and closeness in that relationship will, be, will, will suffer every time. Alternatively, when we're quick to bring our, thing, our, our, our stuff before the Lord, we continue to experience His grace. We stay in close connection and contact with Him. All right, so that's the psalm. Uh, don't be like David, he's saying, but come to God quickly and experience His forgiveness. And before we go to communion, I, I want to just leave you with the image of verse 7. Take a look at it one more time. God, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble, even my own trouble, <laughs> and surround me with songs of deliverance. God longs to be our refuge, even in the midst of our sin. And so whatever guilt or sin or shame we experience, he wants us to know it, it, it for what it is, but he's like, I'm just waiting for you. I'm, you turn to me, and I'm here with open arms. And maybe this morning, there's some area of your life where you're still hiding, you're still covering, you're still rationalizing, you're still compartmentalizing, and today can be an opportunity for you to go, God, I just want to acknowledge this. 
And for you to invite God into that place and experience even in that place a closeness with your Lord, a fresh experience of his forgiveness. You don't have to grovel. You don't have to do penance. You don't have to vow to never do it again. You probably will do it again. You have to confess it. You have to turn him honestly, sincerely, and he is there with open arms. That is the promise of the Old and New Testament. This is First John. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, right? That's that deceit of verse 2. But if we confess our sins, he makes us grovel for several months and vow never to do it again and offer money to the church, to the priest, you name it. No, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So today is a fresh opportunity to do that with our Lord and to experience his grace and mercy again. Let's pray. Well, Father, this is such a good reminder of of the good news that is so simple and yet so easy to lose sight of. (laughs) That you are not counting our sins against us. That our sins are covered and taken care of. And that we can come clean before you. And I pray today that wherever we might be hiding and covering and rationalizing and, and holding on in our pride or our fear, wherever that might be happening, your spirit would convict and with that conviction turn us to you that we might experience your grace and mercy. We might experience your presence in a place where we've been trying to keep you out of that place. And as you move into that place, there would be healing and freedom and intimacy with you, Lord. And I pray even now as we celebrate communion, this might be a rich time of fellowship and forgiveness with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.